because that's when Christ died for me and he rose again. That is my favourite time of year. But Christmas is Christmas and you can't, can't beat it. Anyway, so it's a good time. You get to give and receive gifts. I'm more fond of receiving gifts than I am probably giving them. Um, it's also a time of year when husbands begin to panic. Typically, I should say, I'm not accused of uh, being any sort of ist this morning, but I should say typically husbands begin to panic around Christmas. Um, the first thing they panic about is, what do I get my wife for Christmas? They panic more when their wife says to them, I told you what I wanted, and I'm not telling you again. That's when the panic really sets in. You think, oh, I'm sure she doesn't want handkerchiefs again. Um, one year, Andrew's not here, I can talk about her for ages. Once year, I had a whole present plan that I thought she'd love. And I remember saying to Andrew, I've got your present, it's going to cost a lot of money. And she said, you better tell me, you know. So I told her, and she said, I don't want that (laughs) at all. And it wasn't a kind of ungrateful thing, it was just a genuine, why would you buy me that? Um, But there we are, I thought it was a great present. It's normally a time of year where men, uh, typically husbands, are very gracious towards their wives, and we say, why don't you get all the presents? Like last year, you did a great job, Uh, I'm happy just to to watch, Um, and maybe you can give me one thing to buy off Amazon at some point, or possibly Black Friday. Um, but there is that terrible moment when men are sent out to buy a present. And uh, what generally happens is you'll be going out for something else and your wife will say to you, um, while you're out, why don't you go and get your mum's present? And at that point, we break into a slight cold sweat because we think, what do I get my mum? Um, and so we scramble through underpants and Brute 33 and handkerchiefs and printer paper and all sorts of things, hoping that we bring home the correct gift, only to discover uh, that we didn't. But there we are. So it's a stressful time. But isn't it true that we spend quite a lot of our time searching for the right gift for each other, but perhaps not the right gift for the one that matters more than anybody else? Our series for Advent on Sunday mornings is called Gifts Fit for a King, because actually we focus so much on what we're going to get off each other, or what God's going to give me, what's God going to give me? I need a present from him, but actually, what are you going to give God this Christmas? What's God, what is God going to get from you over the next four weeks and across the Christmas period? Um, so our series is titled Gifts Fit for a King and, and I typed Gifts Fit for a King into Google this week. Um, I was trying to find some sort of poignant picture that would make you all think, oh yeah, that's, really, uh, that's a really good series, really important thing to think about. And I left off the T in Gifts and uh, some of you that know about computers will know that I spelt Gifts the real question is, do I spell gifts or gifs? Gifs. Gifs, okay. If you don't know what a gif is, nor do I, um, I know what it stands for, but it's like a, ten photos all bunched together to make it like a one-second video. And you see people doing that sort of thing over and over. So I typed in gifs, fit for a king, and, uh, and this is what came up. That's one of them. A cat fitting, fitting into a box. A fit bit. It's picking up on the word fit. Is, he, is that just a standard picture? And then uh, the, the famous Winnie the Pooh trying to get fit in the mirror. But I've turned it into a spiritual point for you this morning. Because actually, if you get your approach wrong to the king, you find that you end up with not what you were thinking you were going to be experiencing. You must approach the king correctly. Don't leave off the T in your spiritual walk with our Lord. Um, so what is, the per- I thought you were still there. what is the perfect gift for the king? What is a gift fit for the king? What can I possibly give Jesus Christ this Christmas? Well, he literally has everything. The whole world is his, the Bible says. 
But across the nativity story, across the Christmas story, every single character gave Jesus one thing. They gave him their worship. What is worship? Worship literally means to fall down. So the way you know what you worship is what you fall down in front of, whether that be physically or in an attitude of your spirit. What gets your first? What gets your best? What do you do when you first wake up? That's almost certainly what you think the highest of. If the first thing you do is pick your phone up in the morning, that's possibly what you worship. If the first thing you do is need caffeine in the morning, that's possibly uh, where your heart lies. I won't be too harsh on you because the first thing I do is make a cup of coffee when I wake up. That's all right. We'll let that one go. But what you bow down to, what you pay homage to, what gets your best and your brightest is what you worship. But at Christmas, the perfect gift for Jesus Christ is our worship. Worship isn't just singing on a Sunday morning, although that is worship. Worship is anything you do that you do in honor for the King of Kings. So if you sing on a Sunday morning for the glory of Jesus Christ, because that's what you're told to do in the Bible, then that is worship. Every time you forgive someone that's hurt you, because the Bible says love your enemies and forgive those who persecute you, then that is worship. Every time you help somebody cross the road um, because they're struggling, then that is worship. Every time you pick up your Bible or pray because the Bible tells you to, because you want to honour your king, that becomes worship. Worship is whatever you pay homage to. And so today we're going to look at two characters in the Christmas story, two characters who sadly always get overlooked. And it's a man called Simeon and a woman called Anna, a prophetess. Rachel read from Luke chapter 2 early on. I won't read it um, again, but if you've got it open, that'd be brilliant. Uh, We will refer to it. So the story of Anna and Simeon is a great one. The story is eight days after Jesus' birth had been born, the shepherds have visited. We've had the um, angels. And this is before the Magi or the wise men arrive. Mary and Joseph travel to Jerusalem, to the temple in the middle of Jerusalem. And they go there because they're Jewish, because he's a Jewish boy. And they go there to take part in a standard ritual that hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jewish males have have done since the day um, God commanded them to in the book of Exodus. They go there to dedicate this newborn baby to the Lord and to have him circumcised. For Mary and Joseph, there's also a sacrifice of purification. That's how we know that Mary wasn't perfect and neither was Joseph. They were like us, but used mightily by our God. These rituals that they, t- they do, they have him circumcised and they, they dedicate him because he's the firstborn male. Every firstborn male was taken to the temple and dedicated to God. This is yours, we're giving him to you. Jesus is the firstborn of Mary and Joseph and so he's lifted up before the Lord and dedicated to God. Um, and so they offer this sacrifice as well and they offer and, he has, and they have him circumcised. And this ritual, this standard ritual goes all the way back to a man called Abraham in the Old Testament. Um, if you know the Old Testament very well, which I hope you do, um, Abraham was the very first Israelite, and he was called by God. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, the whole thing breaks, and then God, a bit later, calls a man named Abraham, and then he calls him Abraham. And Abraham, he says to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be an amazing nation that's going to change the world. You're going to bless the whole world. And that man will become a family, and he would become a nation called Israel. And from Israel, ultimately, would come Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
and saviour. That's how the world was going to be blessed because of the rules God was going to give Israel and their religion. But ultimately, when Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem at Christmas. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so he made this covenant with Abraham that this nation was going to be his people, the apple of his eyes, special people. And from them was going to come the saviour of not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, the non-Jews as well. But they had a very special way of responding, remembering this covenant. God says every male must be circumcised. Every male must have this uh, procedure on their eighth day after they're born. And that's going to be a physical sign of this covenant, this agreement, this promise. And in Genesis chapter 17, God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you and the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you should be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then it says for generations and generations. And it says at the end, my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. And the reason I tell you all of that is because when Mary and Joseph went to the temple... It was about as regular an activity as a Jewish family with a newborn could have possibly done. They would have walked into that temple and not one person would have raised or batted an eyelid. Oh, you've just come to get your child circumcised and dedicate him to God. Okay, so have we. Oh, and so have we, and so have we. There probably would have been lots and lots of people doing exactly the same thing, possibly even a giant queue of families waiting to dedicate their firstborn son to God having had him circumcised on the eighth day. But this is always the case with God. He takes what would be ordinary and makes it amazing. Because what we don't re- what we realize, having re- read the story, what Mary and Joseph couldn't possibly have known, is that for years before this moment, God had already been preparing two modern-day prophets, Anna and Simeon, to come to the temple at the same time and see this baby, Jesus Christ, and prophesy their praise over him. The way they worshipped God was with their mouths, by praising and prophesying truth over that baby, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there were prophet after prophet that prophesied his birth, but these modern-day prophets kept on speaking about Jesus. God keeps on speaking about his son, doesn't he? He never stops talking about Christ as the saviour of the world. And God's mouthpiece now is his church. Our job is to keep on talking about the baby in the manger who died on a cross and who rose again, who ascended on high, who is going to come back. God has always been talking about his son right from day one and he's never going to stop talking about his son because Christ is the only hope of this world. There is nothing else that's going to save people's souls. So God has never stopped talking about Jesus, whether an Old Testament prophet or a modern day prophet or his church with a gift of prophecy. George, just by preaching the word, we are to be talking about the Son until the day we die because we are God's mouthpiece, just like those prophets, just like Simeon and Anna in the temple. So who were Simeon and Anna? Well, let me tell you one thing they had in common. They were both, both, both sorry, I said this from a different part of the country then. They were both old. And they were both really, really old. 
Um, and I love it. I think it's brilliant. One of the things I love in the Bible is that God doesn't just take the trendy 21-year-olds. He uses every age, people from every nation, every stage of life, people who are fit and healthy, people who are sick, uh, people who aren't very well, people who are well-loved, people who are hated, people with great reputations, people with none. And God uses all sorts of people. In fact, God loves to use the weak to shame the wise, to shame the strong. He loves to use the foolish He loves to take what the world says is useless and say, this is how I'm going to deliver my message. You've only got to look at a baby in a manger to know that point. And I think it's brilliant. And this morning, you might feel too old to be any use. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I apologize on behalf of the entire planet. Because there is never a moment when the servant of the King of Kings is useless. There is never an age where God says you're past yourself, I date you. Absolutely not. There is never a moment when God doesn't have great plans for you, where God doesn't want you to change the lives of everyone around you. And if you've already given up because you're older and society has told you you've had it, please begin to believe that God is only just beginning to want to use you. God still has grand plans. In fact, you may well be in some of the very places that the likes of the rest of us just can't get to. So that's pretty much all we know about um, um, Anna and Simeon. We know that Anna was from the tribe of Asher, the northern kingdom, which we thought might have been completely obliterated. We know that about their reputations. We know they must have been well-respected and well-known. Anna had spent at least 84 years of her life, potentially, or she was 84 years old, but she spent basically a whole most of her life at the temple after her husband had died, fasting and praying every single day. Simeon, we, we read, is simply known as a devout righteous man these would have been well-known figures at and around the temple if you'd have said to a jew in jerusalem oh do you know anna oh yeah yeah the woman is always praying always fasting yeah i know her she's amazing isn't she they'd have been respectful of these two characters do you know simeon yeah yeah he's brilliant he's such a righteous man i know him really well i love to be like either of them when i get to their age so these were well-known respected local figures um But from the moment this service takes place, as Mary and Joseph walk into the temple, so does Simeon. It says that he's moved by, prompted by the Holy Spirit as he walks in almost at the same time. He lays eyes on the Saviour of the world in verse 26. We read how God had made him a promise that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. He'd made a promise that he would not die before he'd seen Jesus Moved by the Spirit, we read in verse 27, he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought their child in to have him done what the custom of the law required. And when he sets eyes on Jesus Christ, he picks him up and he prophesies. He speaks truth over this baby. He says some of the most well-known phrases of the Christmas story. Verse 28 to 35, he says, says, Simeon took hold of him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory of the people of Israel. 
The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts and hearts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What an amazing thing to say. What an amazing thing to hear about your son as you bring him in. And no sooner does Simeon stop saying these prophetic words, and Anna, who's called a prophetess, walks in as she sees Jesus in the arms of Simeon, presumably, or back in the arms of his parents. She just completely loses all sense of awkwardness and social convention and just shouts, Praise the Lord! And she's yelling and she's dancing and she's running and she don't care who sees because she's just seen the face of her saviour and who cares what anybody thinks of me I'm going to worship him and I'm going to dance and I couldn't care less what anyone thinks I want to be more like Anna don't you aren't you bored of being stuck in the social convention that says we're all going to be ever so polite and refined all the time wouldn't you one day just love to let it all go and just say yeah I love Jesus it's brilliant all so well behaved aren't we And that's a good thing sometimes, perhaps. Don't always be well behaved. Says verse 38, Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking to the redemption of Israel. Just like those shepherds, it's almost like you get the imagine that she's running up to people and going, he's finally arrived, the one you're waiting for, he's finally here, he's finally come. Come on, it's brilliant, come and see him. It's just an amazing moment. One that would have just pointed Jesus out to the crowd in a way that nobody else could. As we read this story, they say things about Jesus that we need to hear in the Christmas story. Things that just qualify what's already happened and help us know that this is no ordinary baby. What does their praise, what does their worship reveal about Jesus? Well, verse 29 reveals that he's God's salvation um, as he says to Simeon and this is also a naming ceremony this is where they say this is this is now Jesus this is his name and the name Jesus literally means salvation or God's or God saves he's literally called salvation what a brilliant name what's your name my name's salvation he literally is God saves embodied verse 32 their praise of Jesus reveals that he's a light for revelation Simeon again says that a light uh, for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And um, what's really interesting is that prophecy in chapter 9 of um, Isaiah, which speaks about a people who walk in darkness seeing a great light. Simeon saying, this is the light. This is the one that you've been waiting for all those years. And just think how poignant that would have been when he said that phrase, when in the temple, probably behind him, possibly, there would have been something called the sanctuary lamp or the eternal flame hanging down that would have been lit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, since the time of Moses. Why? As a perpetual sign of God's powerful presence with his people. And then now, this baby's lifted up. This is the light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. At Exodus 27, we won't read it. God commands that they keep a lamp burning forever in the tent of meeting as a sign of God's presence. Simeon holds up, and what that light merely signified, Jesus is now in the flesh. Verse 38, Anna, the final word, is she talked about him being the redemption. She points people to his mission on earth, not simply to be born as some vague hope, 
but he's going to buy you back from your sin. He's going to buy you back from your bondage and your slavery. She's pointing us to the cross. And the point is, is that without their worship in the temple, no one would have known any of that stuff at that point. And I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is can you imagine the sense of awe in that crowd in the temple when these two well-respected religious people worshipped a baby and said effectively, this is it, this is he. Can you imagine what people would have thought they're worshipping him? I don't think anyone would have forgotten that. And I just wonder today, as we get ready for Christmas, as we get ready to welcome the baby in the manger, will we give him the gift of verbal praise? Praise is prophetic when we praise with the words of the king. When we declare truth about Jesus as a prophetic element to it, we're telling the world a truth that they couldn't possibly know on their own. Over this Christmas, I believe God is calling his church to be loud, to be unashamed, to be full of truth, unashamed, saying to anyone who will listen, this baby is the light of life. This baby can save your soul. This baby is salvation from death and forgiveness for all of your sin, no matter what you've done. What will our family and friends hear from our mouths over the Christmas period? What will God have us say about Jesus this Christmas? He desires our worship as our gift to him. He desires our praise. He wants our words of worship And that's our response to the king. That's a gift fit for a king to speak words of praise to him. Christmas without worship is worthless. Christianity without praise is pointless. Advent without devotion is dead. And so let me invite us all to come around the manger again to see the one born king and then for us to praise him in return. Let's remove the barrier of embarrassment and raise our hands. Let's raise our hearts. Let's be open. Let's be public. This is my Lord, and I don't care who knows it. I love him, and he saved my soul. And you know what? He'll save your soul if you ask him into your life. Let's be public. Let's be open. Let's be loud about Jesus Christ as we worship him this Christmas. Let the world hear our voices that they might turn from their sin and worship him as well with us. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this amazing Christmas story. Father, we we love it. Lord, we love the story of your son coming into this world. And Lord, forgive us that so often we we get, uh, without even realizing it sometimes, we get completely conditioned by what society says and how society says we should behave. Lord, I think of David Lord, when the ark came back into, um, into Jerusalem, Lord, he danced in just a, a sort of a, a thing around his waist, Lord, with hardly anything on. And Lord, people tutted and they said, oh, embarrassing himself. His wife was humiliated for him. Yet, Lord, he didn't care because he just was dancing in front of his Lord. Father God, I pray that you would break down the walls of social embarrassment, social awkwardness, that we would raise our hands, Lord, even if that's just figuratively raising our hands, that people would hear from us, this is the Lord over Christmas. Lord, let us not be blah and bland when people come on Christmas Day. May they say, wow, this is something special. 
when people spend Christmas with us, Lord, may we have hearts that leap for joy, like Anna and Simeon. May we have words that speak truth about Christ, like Simeon and Anna. And Lord, may we not come up with any excuses that we're too old or too young or whatever, that we would just bring it all down and lift you up. And Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end with a, a bit of a response, um, but not asking you to do anything sort of directly. What we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to have two songs. Uh, the first, first song will, will, will come on. And when we finish, we just want to give you, all of us, um, just a couple of minutes, just to praise God. Um, you can do it loudly if you want. You can just do it in your heart, because so often you can come to church and maybe not speak, actually even speak to God yourselves, because you, maybe it's coming from the front of the time. But let's praise God. This is all about verbal praise this morning. Anna and Simeon were loud and out loud. So if you want to shout something out, shout it out. If you want to praise God openly, do it. Um, if you want to get on your knees, do it. If you just want to sit there quietly and praise him in your heart, do it that way as well. But whatever you do, however you express yourself, when we fu- finished our first song, tell God how much you love him this morning. Speak some truth about Jesus to yourself if no one else. If you want to speak it to the rest of the room, just shout it out. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be awkward. This is good. We want to praise the living God. He loves us and he sent his son to die for us. So we have one song and then I won't jump back up. But it will just hopefully happen naturally. But just praise God for a few minutes and then we'll have a second song when Jim feels it's right.